السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام عليك الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم الله صراة وسلام دائمين بدوام منك الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه وشر أنه الله الذي لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إلها واحدا ورب شاهدا ونحن المسلمون وشر أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وكرة عيوننا محمد عبده رسوله أرسله الله بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهر على الدين كله ولو كره المشركون أما بعد يا عباد الله إني مصيكم ونفسي إياي بتقوى الله On this blessed day of Jummah This is a time for you and I to think very carefully About what is truly important in life And nothing is more important Than preparing for the meeting with our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we realize all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guiding us to this blessed deen. Ad deen ad Hanif, this primordial religion that he revealed to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa which is a continuation of a long line of prophecy beginning with the first man in Prophet Adam salam and being sealed with Sayyidina Rasulullah, who is the Imam of the Anbiya wal Mursaleen. He is the Imam of all of the Prophets and Messengers Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And what a gift to have this blessed deen What a gift to have the Quran al-Kareem And to have all of the sayings of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam All of his various ahadith And to have his sunnah preserved in its entirety That is everything that it is that he said Everything that it is that he did the various things that he tacitly approved, and even, according to some definitions, his sifat, his great character traits, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This deen is preserved, imanan, wasalaman, wahsanan, in relation to belief, in relation to practice, and in relationship to the heart, and what it is that we need to actualize within it. And alhamdulillah, one of the great verses of the Qur'an, and in fact, according to the word of our Prophet ﷺ, it is the greatest verse in the Qur'an, is Ayat al-Kursi. And even though we might not be able to memorize the entire Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through His mercy, has given us opportunities despite our weakness to memorize portions of the Qur'an. And even if we can't memorize the entire Qur'an, we can still get immense blessings by memorizing, and this is something that everybody can do, these either verses or short surahs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. A, another good example of this is Surah Al-Ikhlas, Al-Quran. It is equivalent to one-third of the Qur'an. For this reason, when we do khatams here, and this is what the ulama mentioned, in addition to the recitation once for the khatam, it's also recommended to recite it an additional three times. So a total of four times when you're doing a complete recitation of the Qur'an. 
so that you do the one for the khatam and then the additional three as if that you've done another khatam, i.e. an additional complete reading, reading of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. Ayatul Kursi, as our Prophet said, وسلم, is the a'zamu ayah. A'zamu ayatin fil Qur'an, ayatul Kursi. It is the greatest verse in the Qur'an. And Hujjat al-Islam Imam al-Ghazali comments on this blessed prophetic statement, saying, if you look very carefully at the meanings of Ayat al-Kursi, you will find that it contains in it the knowledge of Allah, the knowledge of His essence, the knowledge of His attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and of all of the different ulum of the Qur'an, all of the different knowledge that is contained in the Qur'an, this is the maqsad al-aqsa, this is the ultimate purpose, is to know Allah. So if we look at Ibn Juzay's breakdown of the seven major themes of the Qur'an, the first, of course, is what we believe about Allah. And all of the other themes of the Qur'an ultimately point back to our knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what is sought for in and of itself. And we find in Ayatul Kursi, it contains the mentioning of Allah's essence, His attributes, and even His actions to Barakah wa Ta'ala. So it is important for the believer to take time to reflect upon its meanings. And this is what we want to do today. And then to look at some of the blessed narrations of our Prophet that teach us how to bring Ayatul Kursi into our life. So you learn the meaning. And then you have to remind yourself day in and day out, from time to time even, at least, about the meanings of this blessed verse. And then you recite it, ideally, with presence of heart, multiple times a day, as we will see our Prophet encouraged, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So let's first look at the meaning. And it starts with, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. Allah. There is no God except Him, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, the ever-living, the all-sustaining. So it starts with the name of Allah. And this points to His existence, subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is necessary existence. And this means it is inconceivable that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't exist. Non-existence for Allah is inconceivable. So Allah, Allah exists. And our portion of this name Allah is a little bit different than the way we speak about our quote-unquote portion of the other names of Allah. For us, this is tawallu, i.e. that we become immersed in the meaning of Allah insofar as that we pronounce it on our tongues and bring the meaning into heart to our hearts that Allah exists. And so Allah, 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 Allah. And contrary to what some people say that you can't just mention the name of Allah, well then how do you explain the hadith in Sahih Muslim where our Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is that the end of time won't come until it's not said in the earth, Allah, Allah. And then Allah ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Remember the name of your Lord. And the name of our Lord, Jalla Jalalu, is Allah. The name of our Lord is Allah. And the scholars of this science who know 
the meaning. Say that la ilaha illallah is the miftah of the heart. If you want to open your heart, the key is la ilaha illallah. In repeating the lafz al-jalala, which is not only the greatest word in the Arabic language, it's the greatest word in any language. It's the greatest word of all. Because this is the proper name of our Lord that has no derivation. And it only refers to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah, this is the miftah of the ruh. This is the key that opens up our spirits. And when our spirits are filled with the meaning of love and attachment to the remembrance of our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we ascend in degrees. So the ayat al-Kursi starts with the lafz al-jalala, Allah. And this points to his existence, indicates the necessary existence of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. La ilaha illahu. There is no God except him. Again, nothing deserves to be worshipped except our Lord. He is the only one deserving of worship. And this points to his oneness. La ilaha illahu. We only believe in one God. We are monotheists. And we believe in the divine unity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we want to move from an understanding of that that is rooted in the heart by way of belief but might lack the higher degrees of certitude to a higher degree of certitude. And we build on that basic state when we testify that la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah we are testifying to the oneness of Allah and by extension, all attributes that we attribute to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the unity, divine unity is central. And this is the most powerful reality and, if you will, concept in human history. Nothing is more powerful than this. And nothing is more simple yet sophisticated than this. And all multiplicity ultimately gets back to one. If you give everything in creation a number in that sense, essentially it is it one plus one plus one plus one, it all gets back to one. And everything in creation points to the oneness of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. La ilaha illahu. We indicate, when we, what is indicated in this verse is divine oneness, divine unicity, and that nothing deserves to be worshipped except our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. Illa huwa al-hayy. And we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-hayy. He is the ever-living. He is the ever-living. And he subhanahu wa ta'ala is also the muhi. He gives life. Just as he is al-mumit. He is the one that causes to die. So everything that we see around us and we are now approaching a season as we move from fall into the winter, where things outwardly start to die right before our eyes, the leaves start to shrivel up and they leave those branches and they fall on the ground. The grass starts to change color. Plants don't look the same. They don't look oftentimes the way that they look in the spring. All of these manifestations before us should remind us that Allah Ta'ala is the giver of life and he's the one who causes death. Anytime that we see a manifestation of death, it should remind us that Allah is the one who causes all death. And he is al-hayy. He is the one who is living, and he is the one who is ever living. And he will always have this attribute, subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
as he did, it's always been an attribute of his and always will be an attribute of his. And then this is where language stops because Allah Ta'ala is not subjugated to time or space, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the everlasting, tabaraka wa ta'ala. So Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyu, and then we say al-qayyum. So he is the living, and he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the all-sustaining. He is the qayyum al-samawati wal-ard. He is the one that sustains the heavens and the earth. And part of the meaning here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of anything for his existence. He is self-subsistent, tabaraka wa ta'ala. And everything else in creation is in need of him to exist. He doesn't need anything to exist. He is the one who exists. He is al-hayyu and he is al-qayyum. And he is the one that subsists everyone and everything else in creation. And he is the one who manages their affairs, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he is al-hay and he is al-qayyum. And then we go on to learn more about him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this blessed verse, la ta'khuduhu sinatun wa la nawm. Neither drowsiness nor sleep overtakes him. And so now we need to do what is called tanzih. We need to declare that Allah Taala is far above any of these traits that we ascribe to His creation. He does not doze off, Subhanahu Wa Taala. He does not become drowsy, nor does He sleep. So all attributes of change of change that relate to His creation, all attributes that relate to created things, He is munazzah anha, Subhanahu Wa Taala. He is far above them, and He transcends them. Tabaraka wa ta'ala. Human beings change. Human beings have deficiency. But our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is impossible that there be any deficiency. And He has all attributes of perfection. Tabaraka wa ta'ala. لا تأخذه سينتون ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض And this article in the Arabic language, lahu, is very short. It's two letters. Lahu, the particle and then the pronoun. But it has deep meaning. Lahu, to him belongs. Ma samawati wal Everything that is in the heavens, in the earth, belongs to him. So just imagine if you're reflecting upon these meanings. Every time that you recite Ayatul Kursi, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. La ta'khudhu sinatun wa la nawm. Lahu ma fis-samawati wa ma fil-ard. To him belongs everything that is in the heavens and the earth. To him belongs all dominion. Tabarak wa ta'ala. And if everything belongs to Allah, how should a believer then interact with his, which what is really his? Even if you own something, what is your adab with what it is that you think that you own? Because in reality, everything belongs to Allah. Even what you own is on borrow for you, including your own self. Everything ultimately is from the dominion of Allah and belongs to Him only. Tabaraka wa ta'ala. And then, that to indicate other attributes of His greatness, 
Who could possibly intercede with him without his permission? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides for something to happen, it happens. No one can change the decree of Allah. No one can stand in the way for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And there's only certain choice people amongst his creation that he allows them to intercede and to say anything. And on the day of judgment, even with the great rank of all of the other prophets and messengers, no one can speak. No one can speak until Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu speaks. Who is this beloved servant of Allah such that on this day, which is the most powerful day of all, the most awe-inspiring day of all, no one can say anything except one person, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's only once he speaks, and it's only once he intercedes, is does the door open up for the others to intercede. The prophets, the martyrs, the scholars, and other people that Allah ta'ala will grant intercession to. But no one can intercede with Allah ta'ala unless that he grants permission and allows them to do so. This should instill within our hearts an imprint upon them a deep sense of awe for our Lord because we don't know what is going to be our state are we going to be from those that are when we're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely in a state of utter the embarrassment for what we've done or are we going to be from those who that are rejoicing when we see the good deeds and the scale that Allah tabarak wa ta'ala enabled us to do, tabarak wa ta'ala. يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ That he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, knows what is before them and what is behind them. He knows what happened before they came into existence and what will happen after we exist as human beings. He, subhanahu wa ta'ala, knows everything in relation to this dunya which is close to us, in it being the lower world that is close. But then he knows everything that is going to happen in the hereafter, ta'ala. He knows everything that we've done by way of good or by way of evil. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he knows everything that it is that we will do. He knows what is before them and what is behind them. So this points to that his knowledge ta'ala, and him being all-knowing. But they do not comprehend any of his knowledge except what he wills. No matter how many experiments someone does, no matter how much research they do, no matter how hard they strive to come to know some aspect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, no one can know anything without the permission of Allah. No one will comprehend any knowledge except that which he allows people to know, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our job is to seek the type of knowledge that he wants us to seek, and then to understand other types of knowledge in light of revelation, in light of sacred knowledge. But you could have two people that put in the same amount of energy, and one Allah grants abundant knowledge to, and the other one Allah ta'ala gives a little to. This is in the hands of Allah. 
we do what it is that we are commanded to do. But Allah Ta'ala that gives his knowledge to whom he pleases. And sometimes, like many other things in the world, Allah Ta'ala will give even a disbeliever beauty. He might give them wealth. He might give them status. He might give them knowledge of some sort. In this case, it would be a worldly type of knowledge. But he only gives true knowledge to those who he pleases. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when people receive these various gifts in a worldly sense, oftentimes this is a trial and a test for them to see what it is they are going to do with it. So what is the use of knowing all of this knowledge if it is distancing you from Allah Ta'ala? What is the use of knowing so many of these things people are seeking to know in our day and age if the only benefit is is that, that you benefit, you, that you like learning whatever it is that you're learning because of that discovery tends to be a joyous process and you might make a little bit of money off it and then there are people who are definitely supporting you oftentimes to do that research that are going to make a lot of money off of it. What is the whole point? If it's not sought for the right purpose or used for the right purpose, it will be against us in a proof upon us on the day of judgment. And we should never think with all of these scientific discoveries that have been happening for so many centuries where now when things break down like in a traditional that Christian sense, this understanding of the great chain of mean, this was never a problem for us as believers. Elliptical orbits are not a problem for us as believers. That science is not a problem for us as believers if we look at it from the aspect of it being the means for how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created everything that he created. But to think that it's somehow a replacement for a religious explanation, this is where you're wrong. There's a difference between science and scientism, clearly. This is a very simple and very clear-cut, straightforward difference. We're not against science defined in a certain way. But we are against scientism, this belief that you can't believe anything unless that it fits into the very narrow understanding of the scientific method, and then what does that really mean? And then if we look very carefully about all of these different premises, and then collectively the results that come from those, they never tell you why, what is happening, what is happening from the standpoint of the meaning behind it. This only comes from knowledge that comes from prophets who receive revelation from Allah Taala. There's no way to understand the purpose of life, where we came from and where we're going without the knowledge of prophecy. This is what prophets came with to teach us to make sense of everything else. And in an age of information where now, and this is an old statistic, maybe 15 years old, People have more knowledge now, exposure to knowledge now. In one week, were they to subscribe to like the New York Times, then people tended to have previously in an entire lifetime. So in an age of information, we are inundated with knowledge day in and day out. And oftentimes we don't have the correct way to believe and to see through a lot of the stuff that is coming our way. This is why we need to study the science of Iman. We need to study the science of Islam. We need to be able to make sense of this. We need to be able to be taught how to question underlying assumptions so that we can think straight, so that we can see through the mist and not to get caught up with the fluff. And you see the cloud and you think, and yes, that it does block 
certain rays of the sun, but not all. But then you realize that you can actually just go right through it. A lot of this stuff that is out there is information and it is not true knowledge. We as believers have to be grounded and to see through all of this so that we can meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a good state. No one will comprehend anything of his knowledge except what he wills. And despite everything that everybody knows, none of that could have happened without the permission of Allah. Allah permitted all of those to know anything that it is that they know. And then, His kursi, his footstool, encompasses the heavens and the earth. In other words, he is wasi'un mulkul qudra subhanahu wa ta'ala. His dominion is expansive and he is all powerful. And there is a hadith narrated by Ibn Hibban that says, Is that the seven heavens and the seven earth in the seven earths compared to the kursi, the footstool of Allah Taala, is nothing more than a ring thrown in a fala, a vast, barren, open desert. And the same goes for the arsh, the throne of Allah, in relation to the kursi. It is the same thing. In other words, as you move up in the heavens, they become exponentially greater until you reach the kursi. The kursi encompasses everything that is in the heavens and the earth. And then the kursi in the seven heavens and the seven earths compared to the throne is the same. It is nothing more than like a ring thrown in a vast desert. In other words, it is exponentially greater in a way that blows the mind. And when you understand this, think about everything that is that we know. The 200 billion galaxies that are within our known universe. What are you talking about here? in terms of the creation of Allah Taala, Whereas some people might think, oh, because this was not known before, and now that you know it, it puts religion into question. Why would that be the case? It should be the opposite. Now that you know all of this, it should make you even more in awe of Allah and everything that it is that he created. And we that learn that, if you look, if you would have gone out to have seen the eclipse last night, and generally speaking, when our scholars speak of the eclipse, and this is rooted in the hadith, they speak of it as an awe-inspiring event that one points to the power of Allah Taala, but it's supposed to be a humbling, awe-inspiring, even fear-inspiring phenomena. Because you're just reminded all of a sudden, La ilaha illallah, that this change that I just see in the moon that I normally see in its various phases is now different. And Likewise, this is what's going to happen on Yom Qiyamah. The earth as we know it is going to completely change. And Allah Taala is going to resurrect human beings and then hold them accountable for all that it is that they did. So we need to be believers who understand that Allah has power over all things and His dominion is vast. And His kursi subhanahu wa ta'ala that 
وصيع كرسيه السماوات والارض والارض encompasses all that is in the heavens and the earth and then if you think about you and I how weak we are there are things that we can lift and there are things that we can't lift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is that that the preservation of both does not tire him the preservation of both does not tire him he upholds and subsists everything that is in the heavens and the earth subhanahu wa ta'ala without getting tired allah doesn't get tired that's something that happens to human beings he subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high and he is the great he is that far above these fanciful imaginations that people have and he is great and cannot truly be understood by the human mind may allah ta'ala bless us to be able to come to know the meanings of this blessed of this blessed verse and to bring it in our lives Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Hirabil Adameen, Wasallallahu Ara Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali wa Sahbi wa Sallam Ajma'in, wa Sharon la ilaha illallah wa Sharon Muhammad Rasulullah ma ba'd, ya ibadallah, inni musikum wa nafsi iyaya, bi taqwallah. The last thing that we are going to speak about is how to bring ayatul kursi into our lives. And there are a few things that we can do that if we do them, it will bring immense blessing into our lives. And one of the things that we can do is to recite Ayatul Kursi before prayer and after prayer. And as for after the prayer, our Prophet said, whoever recites Ayatul Kursi after every obligatory prayer, only death comes between him and entering into paradise. In other words, that if you that recite it after every single prayer, and you happen to die before the next prayer, it's a glad tidings that you will be from the people of paradise. And in another narration, whoever recites ayatul kursi after every prescribed prayer, i.e. obligatory prayer, he will be under the protection of Allah, it is salat al-ukhra, until the next prayer. He will be under the protection of Allah ta'ala. And another time that we should recite ayatul kursi, is when we enter into our homes. This is a recommended practice of our Prophet and it will be a means for the protection from shaitan and from anything evil by reciting ayatul kursi when you enter into your home, just as you should recite ayatul kursi when you exit your home. And likewise, reciting ayatul kursi before you go to sleep. And our Prophet that he said, and after mentioning what we've already mentioned, then one narration goes on to say, is that whoever recites Ayatul Kursi just before they go to sleep, Allah will grant that individual safety and security. Is that even his everything in his house will be safe, those living or his neighbors will be safe, and even that some of the homes around him. So a believer reciting Ayatul Kursi will even help protect non-believers that are around them. So imagine that if you have that Muslims live in an area where everybody's reciting Ayatul Kursi, multiple people in one home, even the children. What's happening? There's security, there's protection, there's safety. 
that comes from the blessing that of reciting Ayatul Kursi. Whoever recites Ayatul Kursi before they go to sleep, Lam Shaitan won't be able to influence that individual. Because one of the times Shaitan tries to get us is in our dreams at night when we are susceptible. So in general, the Ayatul Kursi can also be recited for protection or warding off any type of harm. And if there's ever a time that you fear something or you worry about something or there's a perilous situation that you are in, recite Ayatul Kursi. And this will be a means of your protection and a means of helping you. And then you can also recite Ayatul Kursi when you cook. Even one time, when you start to cook, recite Ayatul Kursi. It's a means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to place blessing in your food. And there are many other times that we can recite as well. But if we at least start to do this, we do it before we pray and after we pray. When we enter in our home, when we exit our home. Just before that we go to sleep and then when we're cooking. And then at other times when there's something that we fear or that we're worried about, if we just do that, reflecting upon its meanings, there will be abundant blessings that come from that, insha'Allah ta'ala. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us tawfiq and give us openings like the openings he grants the awliya and the salihin. Inna Allah wa malaikatuhu yusalluna ala nabi. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alihi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim. Innaka hamidun majeed wa radiyallahu wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama barakta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim fir alameen innaka hamidun majeed wa radiyallahu ta'ala insa'adatun khulafa al-rashidin bi bakram wa thman wa ali wa al-jimi ahli bayt al-rasulillah al-matahari min al-jas wa alayna ma'um wa fiim bi rahmatiki ya al-hamar rahmeen اللهم اغفر للمؤمنين ومؤمنات المسلمين والمسلمات الأحياء منهم والأموات آواكم الله نصركم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء ومنكر البغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروا أن يمزدكم وذكر الله أكبر